Matthew chapter 18, verse number 11. I'm going to give you just a, just a moment to find that. Matthew 18, verse number 11. Um, the Bible says this. This is Jesus talking. He says this, For the Son of Man is talking about himself. That, that was a title he used about himself. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Matthew 18, 11. Why did Jesus come to this earth? To save us. To save lost people. And we all, we're all lost. We all start out lost. We're all lost in sin because we are sinners, because of our sin nature, because Adam and Eve sinned and everybody after them sinned. We're all sinners. Jesus came to save that which was lost. That was me. That was you. That's why he came to this earth. Unfortunately, many new versions of the Bible don't have that verse in it. Of all the verses to take out, that would be a really important one to leave there. Why would Jesus come? Well, to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus goes on in the next few verses and talks about uh, a shepherd. If a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seek at that which has gone astray? He's, he's demonstrating his love. He's saying, listen, I love you so much. I'm like a shepherd that's going after his one lost sheep. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. I you to go to Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 8. A man in Acts chapter 8 wants to get saved. Acts chapter 8, a man named Philip. I believe this is the same Philip that we read about as, as the deacon uh, just a couple chapters earlier. Philip and, and Stephen and some others are, are chosen to be deacons to serve the people in the church. Well, Philip's a preacher. He's an evangelist. He goes out. He's preaching the gospel. He's telling people how to be saved. Um, Acts chapter 8, um, he, he, he comes across this man from Ethiopia. He's riding in a chariot, and the man from Ethiopia is reading the book of Isaiah. Now, a book back in that time was a scroll, but they still called it a book. And so he's reading through this, this scroll, this, this book of Isaiah, and he doesn't know uh, really who it's about. Um, and uh, so chapter 8, look at verse 30, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and sayest, Understandest thou what thou readest? Do you, do, you know what, do, you know, do you understand what you're reading here? And the man, the reading, this man from Ethiopia, he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So Philip gets up into the chariot. And uh, verse 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this. This is back in, in Isaiah. This is Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb, dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Do you know who that's talking about? That's talking about Jesus. So, so this, this man from Ethiopia somehow got a hold of the Bible book of Isaiah and he's reading it, but he doesn't understand it. But he's, he's reading about Jesus. He just doesn't understand that he's reading about Jesus yet. Uh, verse 33, uh, ver, uh, in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch, that's the man from, from Ethiopia, answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself? Or of some other man. Who's he talking about? Is Isaiah talking about himself? Or is Isaiah talking about another man? I'm, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on here. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth 
and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That is awesome. So he starts right here in Isaiah and he starts telling him about Jesus. Now, Philip was alive there in Jerusalem while Jesus was there. We don't have the story of him where he was involved as a disciple during that time. But right after Jesus dies and he's buried, he rose again, he ascends up into heaven. Right after that, Philip, he becomes part of the church. He becomes a deacon in the church. Now, a deacon in the church is not a leader in the church. A deacon in the church is a servant in the church. And that's what Philip became. And so now he's serving the the church and he's sharing the gospel with people. He's preaching about Jesus. And so he, he, he's very familiar with the ministry of Jesus. He's very familiar with the church there in Jerusalem. And he tells them about Jesus. And verse 36, And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, this man from Ethiopia said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I, I want to follow Jesus. That's what baptism is, getting baptized. We have a baptistry up here. Getting baptized is a, you go under the water and come back out of the water. The word baptized means immersed. That's what the word literally means. It means to go under and come back up, to be dunked, and to come back up out of the water. And um, he, he says, I want to follow Jesus. And baptism is a demonstration. It's a picture saying, I am now a follower of the one who died, was buried, and rose again. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what this man from Ethiopia says. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be baptized to, to demonstrate that I, that I want to be that. And he says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? What is standing between me and getting baptized? And if you look at verse number 37, Philip answers. And he says, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Now, who is he supposed to believe him? Jesus Christ. That's who Philip was just preaching about. That's what Isaiah 53 was about. It's about Jesus Christ. So he says, if thou believest with all thine heart, believe what? Believe in Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian answers that. He says, he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He had read about Jesus. He had read about his suffering Philip had preached to him about Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection. When you preach Jesus, that's just what you preach about. The Bible doesn't tell us everything that Philip said. But then at this verse, this man from Ethiopia, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ, the word Christ means Messiah, means the promised one, not just any Jesus. Um, I've got some Jesuses in my phone book on my phone. We don't say it, Jesus, we usually call it Jesus, right? So there's a lot of Jesuses out there, but there's only one Jesus Christ. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And right after that, verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now what I want you to understand is that verse 37 is left out of many new Bible versions. Can you imagine trying to read the story and understand what God's saying without it? So you've got the Ethiopian and he's reading about this person he doesn't know about in Isaiah and he's talking about his suffering. And then you got Philip joining him in the chair and he preaches about Jesus. And the Ethiopian says, what must I do? What, what is hindering me to be baptized? And then if you skip verse 37, nothing. You just go right on ahead. 
He commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down to the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. If you take 37 out, you take out believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You take out salvation. And that's what so many new religions, I say new, but there's no new religion really. It's all the same one. Just kind of, It's like Taco Bell. They just keep repackaging it in a different, in a different wrapper and call it something different. Um, so that's what these religions are. Um, and, and, and what they're doing is they're saying... Somebody says they want to be a follower of Jesus, so they go to religion and they say, what do I need to do? And they say, oh, just join the church. All you got to do is be baptized. You don't have to be saved. You can't leave verse 37 out. The series, six messages I'm going to preach, is how to choose a Bible. How do you choose a Bible? There are hundreds of them out there. Um, they're on your phone, they're on your tablet, they're on your computer. And how, how, do you, how do you pick the right one? Now, I'm not going to be mean, but I am going to show you the truth. And, and I hope you can just feel like you can trust your pastor to do that, to show you the truth. There's a philosophy of the modern English Bibles. There, I'm, I'm going to share the philosophy. There's two big parts of it I'm going to share this morning, and I'm going to give you the truth on, on why that's, that's not true. The philosophy of the modern English Bibles or modern versions or new English versions, whatever you want to call them, they share the same philosophy regardless of which one you pick. Now, you know there's a lot of them out there. They, they usually have uh, three letters, right? Three or four letters. Like, like we use here, we use the King James Version of the Bible. People call that the KJV. Some people would use the NIV or the NLT or the CSB or the HCSB. There's a lot of them out there, the ESV, the NLT. There, there's, a lot of them, there's a lot of them out there. Um, and, and most of them have three or four letters. And instead of saying the whole name, people just usually say the, the initials of it. It's like instead of somebody calling me my name, they say, hey, DJR, come over here. And it's David Joshua Reyes is my name, but that's kind of how, that's kind of how they're, they're, they're assigned there. You probably know what I'm talking about as we get to them. But I'm going to give you two philosophies of these modern translations, of modern versions, and I want to show you what the Bible says. I want to help you know how to choose a Bible. That's where I'm going with this. I understand there, there may be folks here that, that may not agree. That's fine. But I'm going to show you the truth as best I can from the Word of God. Then, like always, you've got to make your own decision. Just like salvation. We talked about in Sunday school this morning. Nobody else can make you get saved. You've got to choose to be saved yourself. So let me give it to you quick. We've got just a whole, not a whole lot of time. But let me give these to you. Um, the first philosophy of, our, of the modern versions of the Bible is this. There is no perfect Bible. That's the philosophy. There is no perfect Bible. I'll give you a couple of quotes here in a minute. Um, a radio Bible teacher said that there were no perfect versions. I'm going to leave his name out. Um, he says this. Today's question comes to us from Trisha. Hello, Pastor. And it says his name. My name's Trisha. I'm from Michigan. I know the ESV is your preferred translation, but I sometimes find the wording of the ESV hard to understand. So I often switch to the NIV, the HCSB, or the NLT, for clarity on a passage, that's New International Version, um, um, Christian Standard Bible, Holman's Christian Standard Bible, I think, um, the New Living Translation. I, I switched to those for clarity on a passage. Do you think it's important to stick with one translation for reading and meditation? As a Christian, 
This is a, this is a very famous, he's on the radio every day about, um, very famous radio teacher, and she's asking him this question. Do you think it's important to stick with one translation? As a Christian, I want to live and breathe Scripture because I know it's the very Word of God. I would love to hear your thoughts about sticking with one main translation. I've read that many Puritans not only used one translation for their entire life, but also used the same physical Bible for a lifetime. Knowing it so intimately is to have a visual memory of where a text was on a given page. Will I be missing out if I only use the ESV and come across wording I don't fully understand? Here's his answer. I love the way she asked the question about wanting to live and breathe Scripture. And I, I do, by the way, as well. We ought to live and breathe Scripture. That's beautiful, he says. And she's right that I find the ESV, the English Standard Version, to be a translation that, while not perfect because there aren't any, wait a minute. Here's a Bible teacher, and somebody's calling in, asking them a question about the Bible, and he says there aren't any perfect Bibles. Well, not perfect. There aren't any. Strikes such a good balance between formal equivalence to the original language. And he goes on to, to a lot of other stuff. He says this, In general, I would say to Tricia, among the worthy modern versions, pick the version where you feel most helped by the Lord. To hear his voice with authority and clarity. And make that your go-to Bible for meditation and memorization every day. Then feel free to use other versions to try to wrestle through any parts that you don't understand by comparing them with the text that you use most often. Now, there's a lot there. I'm not going to try to break it all down and tell you all the, the issues with that. But basically, he says that you just got to find one that feels good. Find a Bible that feels good to you. Now, here's what happens. If you find a Bible that feels good to you, the Bible is no longer the authority. You have become the authority. If it doesn't feel good to me, I'm not going to read that one. I'm going to read this one because it doesn't make me feel bad. Or this one, I feel like God's speaking to me more. So that's, this is the, the, the basic of the philosophy is this. There is no perfect English Bible. Now, I believe there is. But that is, that is the philosophy behind so many modern English Bibles. And if, and if that's the philosophy, there's another part of it. If that's the philosophy then you could change it kind of just however you want to. You could change it to sell more. You, you realize that if you, if you print another book, you have to change it if you're going to copyright it, right? You can't just have the same words or else you can't put a copyright on it. And if you can't put a copyright on it, you can't sell another Bible. Bible selling's big business. So you got to change words. And it's okay to change words in a Bible if you don't believe that there really is a perfect English Bible. If you believe that we're just kind of doing our very best with what we've got and we really don't have the Word of God, we've just kind of got something that's kind of like the Word of God, and we'll just change it to make it fit whatever we feel or maybe whatever our culture changes to, and maybe our culture changes the way they define some things and define some words, so we probably ought to change our Bible to match the culture. Now, there's a problem there. We ought to change our culture to match our Bible. And you see how our culture is going the wrong direction. I don't think anybody could argue with me with that. Our culture is going the wrong direction. Here's why. We're changing our Bible to match our culture instead of changing our culture to match the Bible. So one of the philosophies is this. There's no perfect English Bible. I've heard many uh, people with more degrees than me. Um, lots, of, lots of brains and lots of smarts and lots of studying. I've heard them say there is no best or perfect Bible. That's their philosophy. Here's another philosophy. That's this. We do believe the Bible is perfect, 
but only in the originals. This is very, this is very common. Uh, a Baptist church here in town, and I just picked one, but most of them have it, had a doctrinal statement just like this. We believe the Holy Scriptures. We believe in the verbal and plenary inspiration of the Scriptures, consisting of 66 books, which constitute the Old and New Testaments, the Word of God. Inerrant, that means without error, in the original writings. The complete and unalterable special revelation of God and our final authority. Now that's a lot of words, but what they're saying is this. We believe the Bible in the original writings. We believe that the original manuscript of the Bible was accurate and perfect, but we don't have the original manuscript of the Bible anymore, so we really don't believe there is a perfect Word of God anymore. In an article written for Answers in Genesis titled, Why Should We Believe in the Inerrancy of Scripture? The article said this, A church without the authority of Scripture is like a crocodile without teeth. It can open its mouth as wide and often as it likes, but who cares? Thankfully, that's true. That's true. If we had a church without the authority of Scripture, who cares what we say? Thankfully, God has given us His inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. His people can speak with authority and boldness, and we can be confident we have His instructions for our lives. Boom! But that's just the first part of the article. It goes on to say, it's important to understand that the doctrine of inerrancy only applies to the original manuscripts. So this, this article started off so well. If you have a, a church without a, a Bible that, that's, a, let's see how to say it, um, without the authority of scriptures, you're like a crocodile without teeth. You've got, you've got, you've got no authority. And he says, we've got the authority because we believe in the word of God. It's inspired. It's inerrant. Inspired means God said it. Inerrant means there's no mistakes. Infallible. It can't make any mistakes. And then he says, but we're only talking about the original writings of scripture. What are the original writings? The original writings are the actual paper, except they didn't have paper. So it'd be an animal skin that a person like John wrote on or Luke wrote on. Luke wrote the, the book of uh, Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And John wrote the book of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Uh, he wrote the book of Revelation. The, the exact uh, paper or parchment that he took his pen and he wrote on, that is the original, and that is the only original. A copy of that is not an original. So what, what the philosophy of the new modern Bibles is saying is this. First of all, we don't have a perfect Bible. Second, we believe the Bible was perfect, but we don't have a perfect Bible anymore. And with that philosophy, they, it opens up the gate, it opens up the doors for many, many, many different versions that actually say different things than each other. To be produced. So I, I've got a question for you. Did a perfect Bible ever exist? I hope you can say yes to that, but I'm going to give you some verses. Let's go to some verses this morning. And I'm going to help you understand this. Did a perfect Bible ever exist? Yes. Yes. Let's go to the book of Psalms. 
Well, the book of Psalms is just so good, helping us understand, yes, a perfect Bible did exist at one point. Psalm chapter 12 and a verse number 7. Go ahead and find that if you would. Psalm chapter 12 and verse 7. I want you to see these verses. Um, we're going to go a little bit slower today just, just for the sake of being able to, to see them. John 12, verse 7. The Bible says this. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Okay, so something is being kept and something is being preserved from the time that this was written, Psalms, about a thousand years before Christ, until forever. Something's being kept, something's being preserved forever. What is it? Well, in the new versions of the Bible, it's going to be changed to God's going to keep his people. God's going to protect his people. But that's not what this is about. Look at verse number 6. Psalms chapter 12, verse 6. The Bible says this. The words of the Lord are pure words. That's what we're talking about. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. The words. The words of the Lord. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So did a perfect Bible ever exist? The answer is yes, absolutely. I've got uh, so many verses here. I'll just give you, give you one, the Psalm 119.89. The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Do you know when forever starts? It never does. Do you know when forever finishes? It never does. The Word of God is eternal, just like God is eternal. The Word of God never had a beginning. The Word of God will never have an end. Is there a perfect Word of God? Absolutely. Psalm 119, verse 152. The Bible says this, Concerning thy testimonies, it's talking about the Scriptures, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Look at chapter 119 of Psalms, verse 160. What a great verse about the Word of God. Did a perfect Bible ever exist? Psalm 119, verse 160. The Bible says this, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Over and over and over. I'll, I'll share verses with you in just a little bit about how God's word is pure and how it will always be pure. Did a perfect Bible ever exist? Yes. I agree with the article that we read, of the one about the crocodile teeth. I agree with that one, and that we have, and, uh, and God has given us, and so important for us to have an inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Because without that, we have no authority. Without a Bible that we know is accurate, that we know we can trust, how do you know you're going to heaven? How do you know that's not one of the verses that they got wrong and had to change it up? You've got to have a Bible. You have got to have, I've got, we've got to have an every word Bible. Because if we don't have an every word Bible, how do you know which words are the right ones and which words aren't the right ones? The Bible says every word of God is pure. The word of God is true over and over and over. We did have a perfect Bible at one time. The philosophy of the modern Bible versions is that that time has passed. And that we no longer have a perfect Bible. The Bible says differently, though. Let me ask you this. Did, the, did a perfect Bible exist when Jesus was on the earth? 
so I'm going to say yes to that because I still believe we have it, but let me ask you. Did a perfect Bible exist when Jesus was on the earth? Let me, let me give you some thoughts here. Jesus believed that he had and that he held in every word of God's scriptures in his hands. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he was being tempted by the devil, and the devil tempts Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, but he answered. Jesus answered and said, it is written. What is he doing? He's referring to scriptures. He's quoting the scripture. It is written, not it was written. Not this was in the original languages, and we don't really have them anymore. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If it was written in the scriptures, it was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for me. We sing a song about that, don't we? It was good enough for Jesus. Jesus treated the scriptures with the highest of respect. He treated the scripture as if it were the words of God. Jesus never led his followers to doubt the authority, authenticity, inspiration, or preservation of the scripture that he held in his hands. The Gospels record Jesus saying, it is written 18 times. They never record Jesus saying, it was written. Jesus isn't like a lot of the new churches that say, we believe the scriptures in the original manuscripts, but we don't have those anymore. The Gospels never record Jesus saying, a better interpretation for this scripture would be, and then tell you what he thought. Although if anybody could have done that, it could have been Jesus because he is the word that became flesh, but he still never did that. Jesus even rebuked the people he preached to by saying, have ye not read the scriptures? Seven times he said that. So he believed he had the scriptures. Jesus believed he had the scriptures in his hand. He expected the Jews to view the scriptures as their final authority. And he was talking about the scriptures that they had in their days. Now, what scripture did they have in their days? It was a scripture that was written in Greek. They could read it for themselves. The scriptures that were read every Sabbath day in the synagogue, some of them Hebrew, some of them Greek. Uh, Jesus had his own authority as God, but he used the authority of scripture when he answered the devil. Jesus never put any doubts in the minds of the people he taught about the scripture being word for word, the words of God. He never told people, well, these are the thoughts of God, but not necessarily the words of God. He did believe the message. He believed the thoughts. He believed they were important. But he's also very clear that each individual letter was important. Each individual word was important. He even said this, Matthew 5, 18, Jesus said this, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law to all be fulfilled. That's the parts of the letters. Even the parts of the letters are not going to pass. Anyone who's using the scripture in any way that decreases people's faith in what they hold in their hands is not handling the Bible like Jesus handled the Bible. Jesus never said it was written in the originals. He held the scripture in his hands and he treated every word of it as scripture. He told the people to search the scriptures. John 5, 39, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So I'm building a case here, so, so don't tune me out yet. Jesus believed he had the scriptures. He told the people, look, you got the scriptures, read the scriptures. They believed Jesus and his apostles, the writers of the New Testament, believed they were reading the scriptures. They really believed, and Jesus believed this. He had the inspired, preserved, inerrant scriptures. And look. They didn't have the originals. This is important for us to understand. None of them ever saw the originals. 
Okay, so Jesus accepted, but before he was born. He's the word of God, so you've got to make that exception. With our human eyes, nobody there ever saw the originals. But Jesus still said, search the scriptures. He believed he had the scriptures, but he didn't have the originals. Well, what originals are we talking about? So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. It's likely that Jesus and the apostles were reading the Bible in Greek, which had become the common language of the day. By the time Jesus was born, the most recent originals were 400 years old. Now, 400 years ago, the United States wasn't even an idea. You've got to understand how long ago that was. 400 years have passed since the most recent original had been written. Jesus is holding the scriptures in his hands, but it wasn't the original. In fact, it's 400 years of copies of originals. The oldest originals were over 1,400 years old. The law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, at least 1,400 years old. The only Old Testament books that were available were copies of copies of copies of the originals. And Jesus still said, hey, this is a scripture. Now, our modern-day smart people, theologians and people like that, want to tell you, that you, uh, if, if you're holding the scriptures, if they're not the originals, they're not the scriptures. What Jesus was saying was that even though they're copies, they're still the scriptures. They're still inspired. They're still infallible. They're still preserved. Jesus never made a distinction between the scriptures they held in their hands and the originals. The apostles and the other New Testament writers never made a distinction between the scriptures they held in their hands and the originals. Jesus and the apostles and the other New Testament writers believed they read the inspired, preserved, inerrant words of God when they read the scriptures. But it gets a little bit more complicated than that. So the copies of the copies of the copies were copies of the original Hebrew. What happened when they translated it to Greek? So the Greek translation that Jesus and the apostles were using was about 250 years old. So they're using a copy of a copy of a copy of a 250-year-old translation, which was from a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of the original Hebrew. And you know what? Jesus called it the scriptures. So the argument that says, we believe the inerrancy, we believe in the perfect scriptures, but only in the originals. That's not what Jesus believed. Jesus believed he had the scriptures. There's a man named Timothy in the New Testament. You may know about Timothy. There's two books of the Bible written to him, First and Second Timothy. He grew up in Asia. He had a Jewish mother and a Greek father. Let me ask you this. What's the chance he had an original Hebrew manuscript? He grew up in Asia, right? A, a, a Greek father, a, a Jewish, uh, I'm sorry, I got that back. Yeah, a Greek father, Jewish mother. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is not just what Paul said. This is what God said through a man named Paul who wrote this down. And uh, so this is what the scripture says. This is the these are the words of God. So what did God say about the scriptures that Timothy was reading? Did he say, you know, it sure would have been good if you had the originals because other than that, you don't have the perfect word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 14. 
This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. God inspired Paul to write this. These are the words of God. But continue, 2 Timothy 3.14, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Look at verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the, what are the next two words? Holy Scriptures. Timothy had the Holy Scriptures. God said it himself right here. Timothy had the Holy Scriptures, but he had, he had Greek versions of it. He had a Greek translation, but I don't think he had the original Greek translation. Most likely he had a copy of a copy of a copy of the Greek translation, which was translated from a copy of a copy of a copy of a Hebrew translation. Do, do, do you understand what we're saying here? And God still said, you have the Holy Scriptures, which are able... To make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say a little bit more about those scriptures. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So what's going on here? Timothy had a perfect Bible. Timothy had an every word Bible just like Jesus had. Hey, and by the way, just like you can have. I believe that we have a Bible and every word translation of a copy, of a copy of a copy of a translation, just like Timothy had, just like Jesus had. And we don't have to mess around and keep throwing all these new Bibles out there. Why? Because I don't believe the philosophy that says we don't have an every word Bible anymore. I don't believe the philosophy that says we did have the scriptures and the originals, but we don't anymore. Does a perfect Bible exist now? Let me give you some verses quickly. Matthew 5, 18, we already read this one. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass. Has that happened yet? Heaven hasn't passed away, earth hasn't passed away. Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle, and shall no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Psalm chapter 12, verse number 6, the Bible says this. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Psalms 19, oh, that, and then it goes on to say that they, uh, God will preserve them forever in verse number 7. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. Psalm 119, 140, thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. There's so many verses in the Bible. Listen, you have, if you have the right version of the Bible, one that hasn't been changed to avoid copyright issues, and one that hasn't been changed because it came from the, the wrong uh, Greek manuscripts and things like that, you can have an every word Bible. I believe the King James Version of the Bible is that. Doesn't every word Bible exist today? Did God, we know he inspired his words, but did he preserve his words? Do God's words still exist? Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered and said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So Jesus said we're supposed to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God said you're supposed to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm supposed to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now let me ask you something. Can you do that if you don't have a Bible that's an every word Bible? You can't do it. Jesus said, you're supposed to. We can't do that if we don't have every word, but we do. I'm going to read this again to you. Psalm 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. 
12, 7, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So somewhere, God has preserved an every word Bible. And I'm not trying to hurt feelings. I'm not trying to step on toes or anything. I'm just trying to say, you can find that. There is one. God promised there would be one in every word Bible. What did God preserve? The pure words of the Lord. He preserved every pure word. The Proverbs 30 verse 5, the Bible says, Every word of God is pure. He's a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Would you go to Isaiah chapter 40? We'll finish with this verse. I know this is a different kind of a message than, than we usually preach. I just feel like it's so important for us to learn this. Isaiah chapter 40, verse number 8. What does the Bible say? We've looked at New Testament. We've looked at Old Testament. All over, all over the Bible, it's very clear. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The Bible says this. The grass withereth. We know that. We live in New Mexico. The flower fadeth. It means they both die. They they live for a while, then they're gone. But the word of our God shall stand forever. It's going to last forever. I'm going to teach more on this tonight. I'll teach more on it for the next two weeks. This is incredibly important. Whenever Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they were perfect. There was no sin. Everything was great. Do you know how the devil destroyed the world? I'm going to give it to you real quick. First of all, he slipped in, that that serpent slipped in. Whether it was the devil in the serpent or he got the serpent to do what he wanted him to do, we'll figure that out at some point. The devil slipped in, and here's what he did. First of all, he questioned the word of God. Hath God said... Thou shalt uh, surely die. He questioned the word of God. Then he, uh, he contradicted the word of God. Thou shalt not die, but thou shalt be as gods, knowing good and evil. The very first attack on humanity, you know what it was? It was an attack on the word of God. Oh, there's one more. He questioned the word of God. He contradicted the word of God. Then you know what he did? He changed the word of God. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt become as gods, knowing good and evil. He's doing the same thing. He's questioning it. He's going to get you to question the word of God. And he's using really smart people to do it. Really smart people that are on the radio and preachers and churches. And and they're saying, we used to have the word of God, but we don't anymore. Just the original manuscripts. So just take your best shot. Get whatever versions just make you feel good and read whatever you... And, and by the way, um, you don't need to go to different versions as commentary. This is, there's enough there for commentary. Uh, that'll keep you busy for a while. The Bible's a great commentary on itself. It's all there. Anything you need to understand a little bit better that's in the Bible, it's somewhere else. It'll give you the commentary that you need. You don't need another version, all right? So I just want you to be thinking about this. I want you to be praying about this. God, God just put this on my heart. We come back from teen camp, and I was just praying, Lord, what do you want me to preach to our people? What do you want our people to learn? And the Lord put this on my heart, and I feel like that's why... He would, he would have me to do that. So that's why I did that this morning. Uh, tonight I'll preach more about this. I'm going to show you some of the patterns of the, the new versions. 
Um, I showed you the philosophy this morning, the philosophy of the new versions. We don't have a perfect Bible, and there, we do believe there was a perfect Bible, but only in the original manuscripts. So that's the philosophy. I'm going to show you some of the patterns. I'm going to show you the verses that are gone. I'm going to show you the words that have been changed. I'm going to show you the people who translated it. I want to show you where the other translations came from. I want you to realize um, they came from a, a Greek manuscript that was written about the same time as Origin of the Species, when our world was going, uh, Darwin's book, going through just some really major changes in philosophy. That's when that Greek manuscript was written that most, if not all, of the other versions of the Bible came from. You're going to get an education. You're going to learn a lot, hopefully challenge you, and hopefully get the, the right book in your hands so you've got the powerful, never-changing, inspired Word of God. Father, I pray that you would use this message this morning in a way that only you can. We see that your word is powerful. We see that it is obviously your word and you've given it to us, you've inspired it. But we also see an attack. We, we see that the devil attacked way back in the Garden of Eden and he's doing the same thing now and he's trying to get us to give up the word of God, trade it for something else. Lord, I pray that you just do a work in our hearts, and I pray that you'd begin to teach us, help us to understand, help our hearts to be open. Lord, as you speak to our hearts, I pray that you just help us to be open, open to the truth and, and willing to, to ac accept the truth from your word. I know it's confusing. There is so much out there. A lot of it's marketing. A lot of it's for sales. A lot of money's being made on a lot of versions of the Bible being sold. And I know it's confusing, so Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have clarity as we study this topic. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who has never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, right now I pray that you'd convict their heart, and I pray that you'd help them to respond to an invitation to be saved. I'm going to ask the piano to play. Would you stand? Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. I'm just going to ask a simple question. We're going to have a simple invitation this morning, and that is this has nothing to do with what I preached this morning, but I don't want to let you go without asking you this question. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Every one of us will die one day. When you die, are you 100% for sure that you will go to heaven? Let me ask you that, and let me ask you to respond. You'd say, Pastor Reyes, I am 100% sure. I know. If I were to die today, I know I would go to heaven because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and put it right back down? I know that. Oh, I know it. That's awesome. Maybe you didn't raise your hand right now. You'd say, Pastor, I don't know for sure if I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. Can you know that? Can you really know? Yes. If you'd say, you know, Pastor Reyes, I, I don't know for sure. If I was to die today, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven. Let me ask you, slip your hand up into the air. Anybody this morning, you'd say, that's me. I don't know that for sure. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pray for you this morning. I'd like to pray for God to give you clarity and understand that you can be saved. I'd like for God to convict your heart about that. Who would say, Pastor, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, but I'd like you to pray for me about it. Anybody this morning? Anybody, I see that hand. Anybody else, I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven, but I'd, I'd sure like to know. Anybody else, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Anybody else, 
I'd like to know I'm going to heaven, but I don't. I'd like to have that settled, but I, I don't. I'm scared about it. I'm nervous about it. I've not thought about it much, but I don't think I'm going there. Anybody else this morning sat? I, I would like you to pray for me. There are other decisions that need to be made, and I don't know exactly what God's put on your heart this morning. We preached about the Word of God this morning. Maybe maybe your decision ought to be to read it. I mean, God gave us this amazing book, His very words. But if we don't read it, it doesn't do us any good. Would you we make a decision? God, I need to read your Word. Help me to read it. Maybe someone this morning would say, you know, I've read, your, I've read your word, I've read the Bible, and I'm saved, but it doesn't do anybody else any good if I don't tell them. Maybe I need to tell somebody about Jesus, tell somebody how to be saved. Maybe that's the decision God wants you to make. Maybe there's another one. Just in this, in this time right now, would you just, between you and God, would you take care of whatever decision He wants you to make? One person raised their hand this morning. I'm not going to embarrass them but I am going to pray. Father, I pray that you would make your gospel so very clear to this one who's raised their hand and to others maybe as well that just uh, didn't. Lord, I pray that you would help them to understand the gospel. I pray that you would help them to understand just how simple of a truth it is that we're all sinners, we deserve to go to hell, but Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for our sins. And if we'll accept his payment, we'll be saved, we'll be forgiven. Lord, if there's anybody else this morning, the one raised their hand, but maybe there's others this morning that would say, I need to be saved. Lord, right now, I pray that you'd put in their heart, I pray that you would convict their heart right now even. And even right now, they would admit to you that they're a sinner. Right now, Lord, they would admit to you that they deserve to be punished for their sins, just like I do, just like everybody does. Lord, right now I ask that you would help them to understand that um, that punishment is hell. We deserve to die and go to hell. Help them right now, Lord Jesus, to understand that Jesus, you died on the cross. You paid the price for their sin. You rose again. And you want to forgive them. You're able to forgive them. You're able to save them if they would just ask. So, Lord, right now I pray that you'd help them just to ask you to save them. You're here this morning. Maybe this would just be a great time for you. My eyes are closed. Folks' eyes are closed in the auditorium. Maybe it would be a great time just right now for you to pray to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve to die and go to hell. I know Jesus died on the cross, paid for my sins. I know that. I believe that. I believe Jesus is God. He died. He rose again. And right now, Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. Is that you this morning? Maybe just ask him, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you take me to heaven when I die? I'm going to trust in you and your payment on the cross as complete and full payment for my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you, 
But bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment, just for a moment. Did anybody pray that prayer this morning and say, you know, I've, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior this morning? Anybody this morning? Anybody this morning? Hey, look, if you have any questions about that, would you see me? I know sometimes it, it gets a little confusing. Go ahead, let me have your attention again. Go ahead and look up this way. I know it gets confusing sometimes because there's a lot of people saying a lot of different stuff. There's a lot of religions out there. There's even a lot of uh, books saying they're the Bible out there. And they're saying different stuff. I know it gets confusing. I would like you to do this. I would like you to either catch me on the way out and say, Pastor, can we talk? I just, I just have a couple questions. Can we talk? I'd love to do that. Or shoot me a text, right? Um, give my phone number from me. A lot of folks around here have it. I'll give it to you. Shoot me a text later. Um, let, let's sit down and talk about it. Uh, I don't want you to go long. We don't know if we have tomorrow. None of us knows if we have tomorrow. Let's don't go too long. Let's talk about it. Let's get it settled. We can take care of any questions answered that, that you might have.